Welcome to the Wraparound Love Podcast, where you will hear the very difficult stories behind why people make the choices that they do. As we share these stories, you will be inspired by how the love of God transformed each person's life when individual Christians chose to consistently engage by simply being someone who gave what we call wraparound love. Welcome back to the Wraparound Love Podcast. This is episode eight. My name is Janine Wagner, and I am here with Barbara Robinson. Barbara, how are you doing today? I'm good. I'm pretty good. It's good. Well, we're going to have some fun today. We are going to talk about you, as as I describe it, as the bell of the ball of Omaha. In our last episode, you are at the place in your life where you are clean and sober. Things are going really well for you. And the reason I say the bell of the ball, as you'll hear as this story progresses, is that Barbara, like you couldn't turn on a news station and not have her on there or in the newspaper. She becomes a very well-known community leader. And that's the story we're going to talk about today is her road to that. Barbara, I want to start with you are sober. You are at the Williams Prepared Place, going to that church with Pastor Pat and Pastor Bruce Williams, and you get a job at Impact One. Will you talk about how you got that and what that is? Well, I got a job for a program called New World Youth Development, and it was former gang members from all different sets. Different sets, meaning like different... Different gangs. Okay. Yeah. I'm coming together for one common goal to bring peace on the streets and we were under the direction of Ben Gray and another guy named Roy and then we ended up moving to that company went out and we ended up moving to Impact One and we had a new boss Jeanette Taylor she came in and really shaped things up for a while Impact One was literally Impact Two it was just me and Jeanette just me and her setting the footprints of Impact One and Jeanette was putting together this master plan of what a street outreach, what a grassroots organization looked like. And she did an awesome job. We didn't have a script. We just woke up and the things that our community need, we did our best to provide. If there was a shooting, we were there at the shooting. We were there at the hospitals mediating between doctors and family members because in our community sometimes you're raised by your family other times you're raised by people who you grew up to become your family and they're not necessarily blood so then if you're shot then you got both sides coming to the hospital and honestly you're not thinking about the nurses or the doctors you're just thinking about you want your family member to survive and you know sometimes your thinking is clouded so we would mediate between them and we would find out the point of contact for the family. We'd get everybody settled down and this person would only the hospital doctor would talk to this person and this person could relay it to everybody else. If there was a murder for a while, it took the police department, you know, it would take a, a long time before there was connection between family and the police department talking about this murder along with Chief Schmider and Ben Gray, Jeanette Taylor, just all working together. That that stopped. During this time, we not only started having this organization, but we also started having a chief of police that cared 
for the community. I'm not saying that every officer is, you know, doing right, but I am saying that Chief Schmatter does care for the community that he serves. Yeah. I, I know that for sure. And I would kind of be the spokesperson if there was an interview. Jeanette was kind of more the office, the business type, and then she'd go, she'd put on her tennis shoes and she'd go to the street. She sometimes didn't really like to be in front of the media uh, cameras a lot, but we would work with different mothers, different young men. We had the great summer jobs program where we would put gang members from different neighborhoods to work and they had to, they were understood that you can't go on this work site fighting with this person on that work site. We would. So that's like a, sounds like a basic thing, but this is a really important role. And there was really nothing like this in Omaha before. And and you guys, so long, I know Ben Gray, who's a longtime councilman of Omaha, Mm -hmm. this was like you said, an organic thing to try to help gang members really enter into work and life outside of the gang. Mm -hmm. And so you, because of the reputation you had as a gang member, Mm -hmm. you had credibility with the gang members Mm -hmm. because you could relate to them. Mm -hmm. You know, it's funny for me knowing you now and I never knew you, obviously, when you were using and that type of thing. And, you know, Barbara, you have a really great personality. I don't know if anyone's told you that. So it's like you have that gang life, but you also are very engaging. That works for the people that you needed to also have their attention, which was the media and leaders in the community. So you ended up having credibility with both. Mm-hmm. which was very unique. And I knew you at this time and observing you. I think the reason you had credibility with both is because you had integrity. And that is one thing to this day, I will say, and anybody who tries to tell me this isn't true, I would love to have that conversation. You have an incredible amount of integrity. You are very honest about what you're doing and why you're doing it. And that served your community so well. At that time, the shootings in Omaha were really going crazy. And so when you think about that time, I mean, I think about you during that season in your life and you were so passionate and energetic about what you were doing because I remember you saying this and you've said it in the podcast, you felt like you had done things to take away from your community Mm -hmm. and now you really wanted to give back. Talk a little bit about that. You know, drugs started hanging out with us. You know, we allowed somebody to come in from a different city and infiltrate our neighborhood and turn us against people who we went to school with over a color. Um, We did that. I started using and selling drugs to people's parents and watching kids really be hungry like I was you know, at home with my mother. So I know how it feels to want to get away from home because everything that's going on and then go join a game, but then be like, dang, they in some stuff. Do I want to be in this? Well, I got to be because if I'm in this environment, I got to, I'm down with this environment. I got to do what I'm supposed to do. Then I also know how it is to be a mom who on drugs and have a disconnect with your kid because you were on drugs while they were growing up. And so now they out into the streets. So I can't come and tell him stay away from these people because they was his family when I wasn't. I picked dysfunctional relationship. So I know how some of these girls are clinging to these guys because they didn't have a father. They never had a male love. I could see all of these different angles and 
is so many people who have the ability to help, but either didn't want to or didn't know how to. So if I had their ear, I'm going to tell them what this family needs at this time. You know, prayer walks are good. Yes, let's all talk to God. But if I'm standing here with $25 in my pocket so I can go to Taco Bell and I'm praying for a family who just lost somebody or not even lost somebody, but telling me that they baby don't got no milk and no diapers and I got $25 in my pocket and I just want to go to Taco Bell, what? I have the ability to help them, but I'm not. And so I saw that a lot. And sometimes people didn't realize that that is what they were doing. They just had to be maybe held accountable. I learned accountability through Pastor Pat and Pastor Ruth, <laughs> but maybe held accountable or maybe um, shown this is what this family needs. And people listened and they started responding and they started trusting. And when young people would see me come to a prayer walk and first they wouldn't come over to the prayer walk. I ain't going over there with all them white people praying. They don't know. But then when I say, well, They want to help you. You know, they can make the obituaries for you. They can order something um, for you to eat tonight. Sometimes you have to meet a person's need. Um, You know, you reflect back to everything that Jesus did. He met their need. He met people's need, you know? Mm. And so that's what you have to do to intervene in people's life. And so that's what I wanted to see. I wanted to see the needs of people met. The needs that I had when I was young that nobody paid attention to me. You know, just don't stand in front of the camera and say, this is what you want to do. Do it and do it for the right people. Yeah, I think everything you're saying, I'm just having flashbacks to that time because you really were able to explain to people who had the means, the money, what the need was. And you were able to explain to the people who had the need, you can trust these people. Mm-hmm. And that was that was new. I want to go to you learning to trust people, <laughs> which is this is where my parents come in. And I, I remember you saying that my parents were the first white people that you trusted. So talk a little bit about how you met my parents. I met them at a prayer walk. And, you know, they, just like everybody else, you know, kind of had this thoughtful look, you know, what can we do? And so I invited them to a cleanup. They came to the cleanup in the hood. Crazy. They came to the cleanup in the hood. They bought people on trucks to help with the cleanup. This family needs some groceries. This family needs this. Anything that was asked, they did or they asked someone else to help. They found the resources to help because they had their hands able to help. And then they never lied. If they couldn't help, it was, I can't do that. <laughs> Nobody on this earth is perfect, but one. And so if they couldn't do it, they couldn't do it. But they did not say, let me get back to you and then don't answer the phone when you call them back. Or don't answer the phone because they know you're calling for something. Mm -hmm. Never that. Never. Emails, all of that stuff. They always responded. And they wanted to learn more. And so they literally came with me to my neighborhood. They walked around my neighborhood with me. Me and my husband was talking about this podcast. And I told him I was going to talk about when your dad took my son to a basketball game. And my husband went. Is this Charles? uh, Yes. And my two cousins went. Well, one of my cousins was acting up at the game. And he was just eating so much stuff. Just eating all kind of stuff at the game that on the way uh, home, he got sick. So anybody who knows anything about 30th Street 
on Friday and Saturday night at Daly's Liquor Store. It is packed full of people, all different type of people doing everything. So he got sick in your van, throwing up, and your dad <laughs> pulled over in Daly's parking lot on North 30th, made all of them get out and start cleaning the van. And so my husband was like, I'm sitting here looking like we are at Daly's on North 30th. And your dad didn't even care. He he, he didn't care. No. This van's getting cleaned out. This is my daughter's van. Those are the type of people that people like me need in their life. I'm not scared to go here. You trust me. I trust you. You need me. I need you. If you ask me, I'm going to tell you the truth. And that's it. If I ask you, you tell me the truth. And that's it. And that's how the relationship's been. When I found out that they were leaving and going to Minnesota, I kind of was disappointed. But they were like, but no, I'm going to introduce you to my daughter, Janine. And I'm like, oh, my God, another person. But <laughs> Oh, my God. But I met you and, you know, I liked you. And I'm like, wow. Then we were we both ended up having a baby at the same time. And we were old. Old. We were in our 40s. We're pregnant with children so we both didn't know what the heck was going on and those little girls are playing together today right now as we're recording this <laughs> by the way and so it's just been amazing anytime i told you about an issue in north omaha family members couldn't bury their kids you guys reached out to your friends you helped you, you couldn't help everybody but the ones that really needed something you you really came through and it didn't come with funding and documentation, and you just had the heart to help. I can remember you explaining you really had a heart for the moms of the people who were shot and killed, and you explaining, you know, they need toilet paper, they need food. It's just things I just would not think about with the funeral, you know, where I live, if someone dies, a whole bunch of people bring food over. You don't have to worry about anything. But when everyone in your community doesn't have extra means, that doesn't happen. But when you started talking to me about needing to pay for a funeral, again, my mindset is, you know, you have life insurance. There's all these ways to pay for a funeral and there's not. And, you know, still in the community, there hasn't been a hard push for people to get life insurance. Insurance companies have not came and set up booths to help mothers. When I was a teenager mother, there used to be this guy that would come around on the first. I don't know how how real our insurance policy was, but he'd come around on the first and we had insurance, but he's gone now. Nobody is making sure young mothers is getting insurance on their children. To me, that's just one of the very simple ways that it shows what is normal from my experience mm-hmm. versus normal from your experience. Mm-hmm. And and it's just, I think, a good example for people who are listening to this. If you're wanting to build a bridge, build a relationship with someone who comes from a different economic perspective, different racial perspective, like you got to put everything aside Mm -hmm. that you think is normal because the experience is extremely different. Mm -hmm. But the good news is, and that's what we're about here at Wraparound Love, is that you can find the heart things that are in common very, very easily. So Barbara, I want to talk a little bit about when I would come up and teach Sunday school at hope of glories. This is part of how Barbara and I, I think got to know each other so well is 
my family and I started going to her church for about two years, and I taught Sunday school there. And that was a, as I got to know Pastor Pat and Pastor Bruce, they trusted me and asked me to do that. And even that was a totally different experience than what I'm used to with Sunday school. You know, we have our nice classrooms, we have all this kind of stuff. And it just, it was so good. That was one of the best experiences for me to just see like, you know what, church life doesn't need all of this stuff that we have. And so I taught Sunday school with your kids and a few other kids. And that's when I really got to know Charles and Chaynesha and Chaylesha. And Grace Ann was probably about five at the time. Justice was not with us yet, uh, (laughs) nor was my Ellie. But your kids, you know, at that time, I knew your story and you were just like a ball of happiness. And your kids, every time I saw them, they were so kind to each other, to everyone else. One thing that struck me, to be honest, was how kind they were to Grace. They treated her like the sister that they love. And from my perspective, Grace was the fortunate one in the family, right? Grace never had a drug-addicted mom. She had two parents. She had everything that your other kids wanted. And they never treated her with any kind of jealousy. And so just talk about all of their relationship with each other. And they were probably, I would say, you know, like middle school age at that time. Yeah, we were happy to be back together. We were happy to be back together. They had a little sister. And I think in their little hearts, they kind of knew that Grace was a part of God's grace in our life. She was a part of God's grace in our life. Her birth brought out a lot of uh, spiritual things for us and spiritual connection. And Charles was the protector of everybody. And, but he had a very soft heart. And it was so funny because he had got Grace Ann into this routine that Every time she get dressed, she come to the top of the stairs and say, burger, burger. And he'd turn around and say, pretty. And then he'd look at the other sisters and say, say pretty. And if they were too busy or doing something, then he'd get upset. Because everybody has to say pretty before Grace Ann mm-hmm. comes down the stairs. But they was just happy. We were just happy. I wish that I would have been in family therapy with them at that time. Because I was getting healed and going through it. But their little heart still was carrying things. And so when they were old enough to make decisions on their own. Their decisions was made based on the things that they had stuffed. Yeah. But that lifestyle was totally different for them. I remember when the judge allowed Chaynesha and Chaylesha to come back home. They were the first two to come back home after I lost my right. There is a picture and everybody's smiling but Chaynesha. And I asked her, why was she smiling in that picture? And she said, because I thought we were going to end up going back. But after she realized that she wasn't, things kind of settled down. And then my kids, did they come back whole when they first came home? No, they were broken. Mm-hmm. They were broken. Yeah. But I th- they knew that church was our safety. They were really happy there. I mean, I just... When I think about their path, like you said, as they got older, I thinking about them in that time frame and just how joyful they were to be together and have that family. And that's what gives me hope for your kids. And in the upcoming episode, we're going to talk about some changes that came into Barbara's life and some real hurts with her kids. But this moment in time for me, um, when I think about your family, 
You guys were hitting it on all cylinders and just loved being together. And I could tell you this. This may sound simple to people, but it was the first time that their mother could drive a car and I had insurance, license, plates. The car was mine. We didn't have to hurry up and sit down and look straight ahead when the police was coming. We didn't have to do none of that. We was we was legit. We was set free. Yes. We was set free. And that was an amazing time. Let's close this time by you really talking about what Jesus did in your life. <laughs> I was raised in church by my grandmother. I was introduced to church. I was introduced to religion. I was introduced to when you be bad, God going to get you. When I went to the Williams Prepare Place, I was introduced to a spiritual relationship with God. Needless to say, sometimes when I would be out and I would be high or drunk and needing a ride or needing something to eat, it would always be a church that I could walk into and somebody would give me a ride or give me something to eat back home. All the time. God saved me. He chose me when I was in my mother's womb. He chose me to be a bold person. A person who animosity bothers. A person who untruth bothers. He gave me that uh, because he knew I would be bold enough to speak things out. Now, when I was young, I used those things for the wrong, but they all got turned around for the good. God has saved me. He has redeemed me. He has given me chance after chance after chance. Every morning when I wake up, he gives me another chance to get closer to him, to get closer to heaven, and to try again to be the better mom, the better friend, the better wife, the better speaker, the better co-worker, all of those things. God is, he speaks to me, he shows me things, he prepares me for things, he tells me when to go, he tells me when to sit, he tells me when to wait, he also tells me when I'm wrong, he gives me conviction. I'm very thankful that I was taught how to recognize God's voice. And now he has told me that it's now time for my children to be saved and set free. That is what I will be working on through the power of God is saving and setting free my children who grew up with a drug addicted mother. And I know through God, all things are possible. And I know that he will give me strength. I know the plans that he has for me. He has the same plans for my children. And I thank him for that. I praise him and I worship him for that. That's who God is for me. Thank you, Barbara. For anyone who's listening to this, Barbara and I both not just believe, we know that Barbara's story, her journey is not possible through human effort. It's not possible through just foundations and financial support. All of those things are important, but those things do not heal brokenness. And what we hope you hear is that Barbara's brokenness was healed through God and through his love 
and through the people that he sent into Barbara's life. And so we just want to leave today by asking everyone who's listening, is your heart soft towards God? Because he wants to speak into your life no matter what. It doesn't matter if your story is not as dramatic as Barbara's. He wants to speak into your life whatever is going on. And so we just ask you to ask him to help you to soften your heart to hear his voice. And as you do that, he is going to respond and he will begin to show himself to you if you're willing to see. And so we thank you for listening. We ask you to join us next time. We're going to start talking about Barbara's children as they became older and living with some consequences of some things and then how Barbara's faith was able to continue through that time, but not without some definite moments of desperation. So we look forward, Barbara, to sharing next time. 